John 6, verses 25 to 40. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works, for God, works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to see you. It's uh, great to be here again. It's been a few years since I uh, led or uh, preached in your church here in Olveston. There was a time that I was doing it fairly regularly, but uh, that's been a while now. And uh, if you were here last week, um, when Jed, Jed Savile from our church in Launceston was here, um, you will have heard that uh, we're planning to... Uh, Jed, myself and Reuben to, uh, to share a few sermons from a series uh, that we had in, Launce in Launceston at Riverbank, uh, a series based or I should say inspired by this book, Gentle and Lowly by, uh, by Dane Ortland, a, a lovely book and uh, the, the subheading of the book is The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers and that's really the point of the book. We often speak about what Christ has done for us and what he continues to do for us but how often do we stop and think about the heart of Christ for us? And it's our uh, hope and prayer that, uh, that in this series uh, we will be able to open that up a little bit for us. So my friends, the, uh, the passage that we've just read together from John chapter 6 reveals that Jesus can fill our deepest need. 
It shows us that he alone, whoops, don't lean on that one. It shows us that he alone can provide the one thing that we so desperately require more than anything else in this entire world. That he is able to fix the real cause of our brokenness. That he can solve our most fundamental problem. And do you know what that is? Well, the crowds who were following him certainly did not know. In verse 26, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They thought that their deepest need was physical well-being and prosperity. They wanted Jesus because he could miraculously feed them with loaves and fishes. And that made them think that he could make their lives better, that he could make them richer, that he could heal their diseases, that he could free them from political oppression. That means that, means that they were really no different to many today who think that the answer lies in having more money or better education or improved health that the most important thing is to end discrimination or to halt global warming or whatever it may be. And they were no different to many today who come to Jesus still thinking that in him they can find the answer to their physical problems and the source of their worldly success. But why did Jesus really come? What's our most fundamental problem? In verse 27, Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. You see, my friends, our most fundamental problem is that we are disconnected, cut off, alienated from the God who made us. Through our own rebellious hearts, we found ourselves far away from the very one who brought us into being and who rules this world and who holds our future in his hands. And as a result, there is an enormous emptiness in our lives. We're like orphans with no one to turn to and nothing to look forward to. Even if we live with worldly abundance, if we're living without God, then we have an underlying feeling of discontent and disconnection, of helplessness and of hopelessness, of failure and of futility. And we'll also have an underlying fear of what is going to happen when we die. There's a well-known quote which says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. Or as it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it is God himself who has set eternity in the human heart. Here in our text, Jesus speaks of this emptiness in terms of hunger. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. 
Jesus speaks not of physical hunger, but of a spiritual hunger. We have a deep longing inside of us to be reconciled to our maker, to experience the true life on this earth that he intended, and to have hope, hope of a never-ending future in his presence. And Jesus explains that he's the only one who can satisfy this hunger. For he is the Son of Man, the long-promised Messiah, the second person of the Trinity and the very Son of the living God. He's the one who the God the Father has sent, appointed and approved to fill our deepest need. And how did he do that? By leaving the glory of heaven and entering our world and giving himself to us. He did it by his life and death and resurrection. For Jesus came and lived that perfect holy life that we could never achieve. And he came to die that atoning sacrificial death that we so desperately need. And he rose again to prove that the ultimate victory has been won over sin and death and hell. That's why in verses 32 and 33 he says, It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And in verse 35 we read, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It's Christ himself who came in grace and love to fill our deepest need and solve our most fundamental problem, for he is the reconciliation between himself and us, between God and humanity. He is the abundant filling of our emptiness the meaning and purpose in our existence. He is our assurance of eternal life. Jesus himself fills that vacuum deep within our hearts and satisfies our spiritual hunger and thirst once and for all. And how do we access his glorious salvation? Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. He calls on us simply to come to him. And what does that mean? He says, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. To come to Jesus is to believe in him. It's to turn your soul toward him, to lay hold of him in faith. It's to recognize his glory and it's to place your full reliance upon him and upon him alone. We could never, ever do anything to deserve his favour. We could never earn his salvation or eternal life. In verse 28, the people asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And in verse 29, Jesus answered them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, the only way, the only way to receive the bread of life is by turning to him in faith. And I truly hope that that is what you have done. 
Maybe you're here today and, and you've only recently heard about Jesus or you're not that sure about him yet. If that's you, then I just want to urge you this morning to think about him more and more, to read about him in the Bible, to talk to Christian friends about him and to ask God to open your eyes to who he truly is. Because trust me, Jesus is so wonderful. He's the one you've been looking for. He's the one who can fill that vacuum in your heart. But in saying that, I'm also sure that there are many here who have already put their hope in Jesus. And if that's you, my friend, if that's you, then you have so many reasons to rejoice and so many reasons to give thanks. What a blessing to have realised your own spiritual hunger. What a blessing to have found the bread of life who truly satisfies. What a blessing to enter into a relationship with Jesus and to discover peace with your God. And what a blessing to face every single day, both the good days and the hard days, with the sure and certain hope of eternal life. But that brings us to an incredibly important question. And that question, my friends, is this. Will Jesus ever let us go? We may well have known the wonder of his love. We may well have come to him in faith. We may well have felt so close to the Lord. But are there circumstances under which he might now reject us? Is it possible that by our own foolish actions we might lose this salvation? Well, as we consider this, we're going to, to focus in more closely on verse 37 of our text. And we're going to do that not only because it speaks to our question, but also because it reveals to us the deepest heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the first half of that verse, verse 37, says this, All those the Father gives me will come to me. And what a, what a rich statement that is. First of all, it speaks of the Father, God the Father, our Heavenly Father. Sometimes we can be tempted to think that salvation is just the work of Jesus and that the Father is in fact an angry God set only on judgment who doesn't really want us and only accepts Jesus' sacrifice begrudgingly. But my friends, nothing could be further from the truth. It's our Father who planned our rescue from the very beginning and who sent his own Son into the world and who works in our hearts to bring us to faith. For the verse also says that it is the Father who gives us to Jesus. This is no unwilling act. He decided before creation that we were going to be his children and he delights to entrust us to the gracious care of his Son. And it says that the Father gives all of us. There is not one person whom he has chosen 
who will ever miss out. And so it says that as a result, we will come to Jesus. My friends, salvation is not in the first place about coming to a church or about coming to a set of doctrines or rules or even to a changed life and a new direction. But it's about coming to a person. It's about coming to Jesus and entering a personal and intimate relationship with him. And it's as we think about that that we need to seriously consider, would our Lord Jesus ever let us go? Should we be afraid that we've gone too far and fallen out of his favour? And that's an extremely relevant question. I mean, my dear Lord Jesus, I used to feel so close to you and so assured, but now you seem so far away. I may have been on fire for you once, but my, my faith has cooled down and I'm filled with doubts. I was so committed to serving you. Nothing was too much, but now my motivation seems to be gone. I look at my life and there's so little fruit. How can I even call myself a Christian? And then there's my sin, my horrible, insidious, relentless, depressing sin. I've messed up so badly, made such huge mistakes, let you down so often. I have sin that's been with me for years, even for decades, and I still can't overcome it. I have sin that nobody even knows about. And if they did, well, they would write me off. And surely you have too. I feel so hard-hearted, so guilty, so ashamed, like I'm in the devil's grip, sinking ever deeper. And I look back and I see so much failure, failure to live up to my calling, failure to be your witness. And what of all these awful troubles in my life? It seems that everything's going wrong. Surely that means that you have withdrawn your blessing, that you have turned away from me and rejected me. I feel like such a hypocrite. I feel so weak, so depraved, so hopeless, so cold. My friends, can you relate to feelings like these? Do you ever wonder whether you're really on the right track? Or maybe you're totally overcome by these kinds of fears. They overwhelm you every day. You know, I don't think there's a Christian alive who doesn't battle with these thoughts. And you know, to be perfectly honest, I'd be more concerned about someone who doesn't ever question these things than someone who does. For that could mean that they've never really done an honest self-analysis before the Lord. My friends, every believer has times when they look at themselves in the mirror and they think, how on earth could a holy God accept a miserable wretch like me? Why on earth would Jesus give his life for someone so pathetic, so unfaithful and so flawed? But you know what Jesus says? Do you know how he responds? He says, whoever comes to me, I will never 
drive away. In verse 37, with love in his heart and perhaps even with tears in his eyes, he says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. In this book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland describes this conversation with Jesus. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, Jesus responds. You know most of it, sure. Certainly more than what others see. But there's a perversity down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past. It's my present too. I understand, Jesus says. But I don't know if I can break free of this any time soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Jesus says, then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offences aren't directed toward others. They're against you. Well, then I am the most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you will get fed up with me. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You know, this isn't the only place where Jesus provides this reassurance in our text. Listen to verse 27. He says that he can provide food that endures to eternal life. And in verse 35, he says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And listen to verses 38 to 40. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me but will raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And so what does that all mean? Well, my friends, it means that in these verses we have found out something very, very special about the heart of Jesus toward his people, about the heart of Jesus toward you and toward me. For we all know that we can be so sinful and so unreliable and so unfaithful. You know, if Jesus were a mere human friend, he would have reached the limit of his patience long, long ago and we would have ruined the relationship and forfeited his love. But he is no mere human friend, for he is the divine son. And he loves us so deeply and so unconditionally and so absolutely that nothing can ever separate us from him. 
the only thing he asks of us is to come to him in faith. And when we do, we will enjoy his love forever. He doesn't say, come to me once you've reached a certain standard. He doesn't say, come to me, but only if you can maintain a certain level of performance in your life. But he says, come to me. Come to me and I will never drive you away. You know, this word never in the Greek language, as it's used here, is a very strong word. It's what we would call an emphatic negative. Jesus says, I will never, ever, under any circumstances, not in a billion years, there's simply no way that I will ever lose you. No way that I will ever, ever drive you away. And as, we, as we're thinking about this, you may be realising that, that what we're talking about relates to a certain doctrine, one that is very dear to us as Reformed believers. But you know, I love what Dane Ortland says about this too. He says we're talking about something deeper than the doctrine of eternal security, or once saved, always saved, a glorious doctrine, a true doctrine, sometimes called the perseverance of the saints. But he says we have come even more deeply to the doctrine of the perseverance of the heart of Christ. And a bit later he writes this. He says the atoning work of the Son, decreed by the Father and applied by the Spirit, ensures that we are safe eternally. But a text such as John 6 verse 37 reassures us that this is not only a matter of divine decree, but also of divine desire. This, he says, is heaven's delight. Come to me, says Christ. I will embrace you into my deepest being and I will never, ever let you go. My friends, last year I, Caroline and I became grandparents for the first time. And so we have a little grandson named Murray. And when Murray is around, he likes to hold onto my hands with his pudgy little fingers and to stand up on his shaky little legs. And as he does that, he thinks in his baby brain that he's holding onto me. And I guess he is to a certain extent. But yet I know full well that if I left it up to him, that he would soon fall down in a crying heap. And so in reality, it's actually me who is holding on to him. And because he is so incredibly precious to me, because I love him so much and don't want him to come to any harm, I can assure you this morning that I hold on to him tight and there is just no way that I will ever let him go. Well, if I'm that determined to hold on to my little grandson, well, then I ask you this morning, how much more determined is Jesus to hold on to you? We can trust him with all our hearts. He will never, ever let us fall. 
My friends, we've been reminded this morning of the absolutely glorious salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the solution to our biggest problem and the fulfilment of our deepest need. He truly is the bread of life who can satisfy the emptiness and the hunger in our souls. And so when we humbly come to him in faith, we truly can find forgiveness for our sin, reconciliation with our God and the hope of life everlasting. But this morning we've also discovered the heart, the persevering heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have so many reasons to doubt his ongoing grace and his ongoing love. We so quickly forget him. We so often fail him. We so severely sin against him. I mean, if we were in his shoes, we'd have written ourselves off long ago. But thank the Lord that he is not like us. For he says, whoever comes to me, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your history or how far you've fallen, no matter how many times you get it wrong or how badly you mess it up, there is simply no limit to my grace toward repentant sinners. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never, ever drive away. This is his heart. It's his desire. It's his delight. And so we do not need to fear. For in Jesus we have the most treasured of friends. A saving friend. A reliable friend. A persevering friend. And as a result, we can live right now today with, with peace and assurance in our hearts. And we can look to the future with, with calmness and with confidence. And we can trust that one day our loving Saviour is going to come and he is going to take us to our eternal home. For his love and his mercy know no limits. And so he will never let us down. He will never lose us. He will never drive us away. That, my friends, is the true heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for planning our salvation even before the creation of the world and for promising that a saviour would come and for giving your son to make it all possible. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you for giving your life to solve our biggest problem and to fill our deepest need, to bring us forgiveness and reconciliation and eternal life. Holy Spirit, we thank you for opening our eyes to see, to understand, to receive and to believe in Jesus as our Saviour. And Jesus, most of all today, we just want to thank you for your persevering heart. We know our own failings, our sins and our weaknesses. We know that we do not deserve your love. And every day we do things that make us worthy of your rejection. 
but yet you don't reject us. For you have promised us that whoever comes to you, you will never drive away. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your heart of love. A heart of love that will never, ever let us go. Amen.